How is everybody this morning? Good? Feeling very uh, blessed today? Okay, now if you've been following us for the past month, you know that we are currently on the theme of spiritual formation, and that's why we're offering the class on spiritual formation in our SEGs as well. And then for this month, as well as the next month to come, we are focusing on the Beatitudes. Uh, How many of you you know how many Beatitudes are there? Eight. Eight? Whoa, very good. So we have some very excellent students of the Word of God, so we thank God for them. Now, what are the Beatitudes? What are the Beatitudes? Today, I'm going to continue on uh, the Beatitudes as well. And today is the fourth one. And I will be talking about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But first of all, what is Beatitude? What does Beatitude mean? Such a deep word. Now, I had to look it up. And the Beatitude means supreme blessedness. Wow. Turn to your neighbor and say, supreme blessedness. So we're not just talking about blessings. Now, how many of you want blessings? Uh, Only a few of you. The rest of you don't want blessings. So the opposite of blessings would be curse. You want to be cursed? No, I don't think so, right? How many of you, not only do you want blessings, but you want to be supremely blessed? Come on, let me see your hands. Participate a bit, yes. let Let me see your hands, no wave. Let me know that you're listening. Right. I'm assuming that your hands that are raised up you are saying that you want to be supremely blessed. Amen? So this is not just regular blessings, but this is the superhero, pumped up version, extra level of blessings. Wow! And if you want to have that kind of supreme blessedness, then friends, I hope you've been paying attention for the last uh, three weeks because today, after today, we are already halfway through the Beatitudes. And if you haven't paid attention, then you'll only be half supremely, not supremely blessed, half blessed. No, I'm kidding. But the idea here is this. We need to understand the Word of God. We need to apply and practice the eight Beatitudes if we want to be supremely blessed as Jesus teaches. So, today is the fourth one, as I've said. And we are going to look and uh, let's read this together. Matthew, Matthew, is it stuck? Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Ready? One, two, go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Let's read that again. One, two, go. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen. Now, to understand what this beatitude is, we're going to have to unpack it a little bit more. Okay? So the first thing I'm going to go so that we are able to understand this verse and so that we're able to apply it into our lives is we're going to break it down and understand bit by bit. The first one we're going to look at is hunger and thirst. Say with me, hunger and thirst. Now, I want to ask you again, I hope you will respond to me, how many of you know what it's like to be hungry and thirsty? Only a few hands? So I guess half of you here are always full. You're always very blessed in that sense. Tummies are full. Now, how many of you really, really, really know what it's like to be really, really hungry and really, really thirsty? Only a few hands. Only a few. Okay, how about now? How many of you are actually really hungry now? 
I see your head shut up and you think, oh, yo, pastor, why talk about this topic? Now, you know, I'm so tempted to go outside there to the cafeteria and eat the food there, but the Word of God says that man shall not live by bread on lo- alone, but by hearing every word that comes from the mouth of God. Hallelujah. So you are blessed and well done for sitting here this morning instead of eating outside there. Okay? Now, let's talk about this hunger and thirsting. In order for me to do that, I want to talk about my favourite foods. Okay, So, you play along with me. You imagine as well, what is your favourite food? Mm. Now, recently, about a month back, I had the blessed opportunity to eat at a very famous Japanese buffet. Mm. And I love Japanese food. If there's any type of food that I can eat every single day for every single meal, it would be Japanese food. Okay, And better yet, if it's a buffet. Huge spreads of foods. There are tapanyakis, there is ramen, there is sushi, there is soba, there is um, uh, Yamaha, Suzuki, Toyota, all those things. They're available and for me, it's delicious. Um, And then at this buffet that I had, what we did was that because we knew that it was a good buffet, it was a high quality and the food is delicious, I actually skipped my lunch so that my stomach would be empty a bit. And so that by the time dinner time comes around, I, my stomach would be empty. And oh, I'd be so hungry. And I'd be ready to attack the buffet line. And after eating such a delicious meal, oh, I packed myself so full, I was satisfied. And now, when Jesus teaches in the Bible, He very, very often uses things that are very practical, think that things that are applicable to our daily lives. And so when he's teaching these Beatitudes, he picks something that generally every single person would understand, the concept of being hungry and thirsty. Oh, so we know what Jesus is talking about. When we hunger and thirst for something, we will yearn for it, we will desire it, we will think about it, and we will make our way so that we can feel that hunger or that thirst. Now, John Piper, who is a famous theologian and also an author and also a pastor, he says this, God has put eternity in our hearts and we have an inconsolable longing. I say that again, God has put eternity in our hearts and we have an inconsolable longing. We desire for something. There's something within our hearts that we are longing for, that we are hungering and thirsting for. Let's look at what the Scripture says as well. In the book of Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 to 2. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Sounds good. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Favorite word for many people. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest foods. So, what the scriptures are confirming is this. And each and every individual, not only do we have a physical hunger, but we have a spiritual hunger that is within our hearts as well. A longing after God. And so, Jesus also says this in a book of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Look, 
I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Now, how did I jump to this verse from hungering and thirsting after righteousness? Now, in the book of the passage of Isaiah chapter 55 that we had just read, if you read the whole chapter, you understand that this is God's call for the people of Israel to draw close to Him, to come to Him, to come near because God desires us, His people, to draw close to Him. And that's why Jesus says this as well. Look, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If you hear me and open the door, then I will come in and I will share a meal together as friends. This is interesting. Many times, many of us have used this verse and interpreted it as a call of salvation for those who do not yet know Jesus, who do not yet believe in Him. But in this passage, Revelation chapter 3, Jesus was actually talking to a church, to the church in the city of Laodicea. And so, wow, Jesus is not calling for unbelievers to open the door of their hearts. But rather, Jesus is saying to the believers, the church that's in Laodicea, I'm standing outside and knocking at the door of your heart. But what does that mean? How can they be believers and not have Jesus in their hearts? Well, perhaps it's because these people were Christians by name. They have heard of Jesus. They know about Jesus, but they have not yet welcomed Jesus into their hearts and enjoying fellowship with Him, enjoying a meal with Him. And so this morning, we are going to look a lot deeper on hungering and thirsting so that we may be filled. With this hungering and thirsting that, of our soul that I was talking about, many of us have tried to satisfy this longing. We know that it exists in there. If, 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 we, if we are honest with ourselves, we know that we keep chasing after things of this world. We have tried to satisfy this longing with all sorts of things. We try to go on long vacations. Experience is everything, they say, these days. We try to fill up our longing with creative hobbies, art, photography, painting, but the longing is still within us. We try to fill up this longing with challenging, busy work so that our time is taken up, so that we won't think so much about these deeper life questions. We fill our times with competitive sports. We fill our minds with expensive technology. We chase after fast and furious cars. And for some people, we even get involved in vices, in gambling, in drinking, in drugs, in sex and the like. But none of these things can fill the longing that is still there. Unlike that big and extensive Japanese buffet, these things just do not fill the longing or satisfy the longing that is within our hearts. So, how is it or why is it that we don't have this longing for the things of God? Why? Pastor, I've been in church so long. I grew up in church. I, you know, I don't see already lah. Kind of bored, no. I mean, I will come to church, but... This longing, this hungering and thirsting that you're talking about, 
I don't feel it. Well, let's look at the Word of God and let's begin to understand why is it that so many Christians today don't have that kind of passion, desire for righteousness. First of all, let me talk to you again about food. I love to snack. I love to snack. I love to eat junk foods that shouldn't be good. I love to snack on, uh, on nuts. I love to snack on biscuits. I love to snack. I love to snack. And the problem with my snacking is that when I was much younger, I could eat any time of the day. And when it came for the proper meals, when it's lunchtime, dinner time, no problem. I would still wolf down my food. Now that I'm older and wiser, I know that... No, hang on, hang on. Wiser but still foolish because I still snack. <laughs> and the problem with snacking is that when, when, uh, when dinner time comes about, it's dinner time but you know it's not yet dinner, so it's kind of like 6 o'clock, 6.30. Your dinner is coming but hungry now. And I begin to hunt around the house. Ah, got biscuit here, eat a bit. Oh, got some nice snacks. Oh, eat some more. Oh, got nuts, some food left over. Oh, eat a bit, a bit, a bit, a bit. And I've filled myself with this junk food, thinking so foolishly. I can still eat dinner, no problem. But when dinner time comes about, I find that, alamak, full now. So I can't eat the delicious food that my mom has prepared. She's, she's, cooked, um, she's cooked rice, she's cooked chicken meat, eggs, healthy vegetables, all the wonderful and healthy and good stuff. But what happened? Because I had filled myself with junk, I have no appetite for the things that are good for me. So here's the thing. When we fill ourselves with junk, we lose ap our appetite, even for the things that are good. Let me give you another example. I was at the Japanese buffet, and after this, you're probably thinking, ah, yeah, you are going to go for a Japanese buffet too, right? But I'm at a Japanese buffet, and I've taken all the foods that I love, and, and, and I'm stuffed up already. Wow, good food. So this is not snacking on junk food. This is good food. Mm. But then, oh, yo, my friend comes on and says, nah, Gobe beef, try it. Whoa, but you know, I'm so full. Ah. And then he gives, you, gives me all the other nice foods. You've only tried half of the food here. The other half, you haven't even tried yet. But you know, even though the food spread is of a high quality, but because I filled myself to my limit, I just don't desire the good and delicious food anymore. So the understanding is this. We have a limit to our longing. And an article that I read says that our stomachs actually have the capacity to expand eight times our normal size. Wow. Okay, so you're going to... So our stomachs have this amazing ability to stretch and fill up. But even then, there is still a limit. There is still a limit. And so likewise, just as our physical bodies has the limit of a longing our spirit being also has a limit. The book of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7 says this, A person who is full refuses honey, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. I say it again, A person who is full refuses honey, but even bitter food tastes sweet to those who are hungry. So are you ready for the revelationary truth? Revelationary truth, brothers and sisters, if you're not hungry for the things of God, it's because you've been snacking on other things. You've been snacking 
on junk foods. The truth is this. To the degree you are filled with the things of this world determines how you respond to the things of God's will. I say it again. The, the, to the degree that you are filled with the things of this world will then determine how you respond to the things of God's will. And I've mentioned it earlier. We have tried to fill our hunger, our longing with earthly pleasures. And this has resulted in our lack of appetite or lack of passion for the things of God. Ha! Huh. Now, let's look at the church at Laodicea again. Revelation chapter 3, earlier on was verse 20. Now, we're going to read the problem with the Laodicean church. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. I know all the things you do, Jesus is telling the church, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now the sad thing about, it, about this church in Laodicea is that on this very day, modern Turkey, the church no longer exists. In fact, the, the religion, the dominant religion there today is Islam. So, after hearing this warning, sadly, the Laodicean church did not take heed and did not change. And they do not exist today. The Christians in Laodicea, they did not have the spiritual hunger or passion for God and His righteousness. You see, what we understand from here is that the city of Laodicea was a city that was um, by the sea. It was a port city and it was rich. They had money, but they had no water source. They had no water source. So what happens is that they had built aqueducts uh, to transport water from neighbouring cities. And this is what happens. Laodicea's water, cha water channeled through these dual pipelines, but it carried thick calcium impurities. Combined with its lukewarm temperature, it will make a visitor vomit. And why does the scripture talk about hot and cold? Well, the water sources from these two places, one comes from the city of Hierapolis, and in Hierapolis, there is hot springs. And so we know the good thing about hot water is that it brings about comfort, it brings about healing, it makes you warm and fuzzy all inside. But the second source of water comes from the city of Colossae. From the city of Colossae. And in the city of Colossae, they have cold, fresh spring waters. And so the water that comes from Colossae is refreshing. It, it, it just wakes you up. It makes you feel alive. So the concept that Jesus is saying to this church here is either one of these. If you are hot, you bring comfort. You are passionate. You bring healing to those who are around you. If you are cold, you are refreshing. You give life to those who are around you. But the problem with the city of Laodicea, by the time the water comes from their sources in these two far cities and reaches them, it becomes lukewarm. It loses its heat. It loses its cool, refreshing properties. And as we had read earlier, the high calcium properties within this water would make anyone who drinks this water untreated vomit. And so that was the understanding of why Jesus says these things. 
But there is a spiritual and a deeper meaning as well. They had become lukewarm because they were filled up with their own riches. Now, the city of Laodicea was struck by a massive earthquake in their history. When Rome offered help to, build, to rebuild the city, the Laodiceans were a proud people. They said, it's okay. We have enough money and we have enough resources to rebuild the city on their own. The city of Laodicea had become self-sufficient, no longer desiring help, no longer desiring and relying on assistance from God. So, here was a warning that Jesus was giving to the church. Repent from your lukewarmness or your lack of passion because whether you realize it or not, when you are not ministering, you're not refreshing, you're not bringing healing to other people, you're, comic, you're causing other people to warm it by your behavior. So, let us not be lacking hunger or thirsting for the things of God. Now, let me cook up an idea within your heads. Okay? If I were to buy and own a very expensive new car, Right? If I were to buy and own a new and expensive uh, new car, I would never put dirty petrol inside. I would never put cooking oil, or if you know what they say, palm oil petrol, no, maybe not. If I have a very expensive and very uh, high-grade car, I would only think about putting in the most premium petrol so that the car will function at its best, the engine will last long, will perform at its most optimum, and the car that I have would last longer and serve me effectively. Now, likewise, when we think about our bodies, the problem with us is that we have filled ourselves with dirty, impure things of this world. And so as a result of that, we have caused our bodies to not function at its highest and its most effective capacities. Our bodies have become weak and sick. So the first reason as to why I'm not hungry la, for the things of God is because I'm filled with the life, the, the life of this world. Now, the second reason why we might not have that kind of spiritual hunger and thirst for God is because of this. We are spiritually sick. Spiritually sick. We have often heard this said about people. Wow, you have a healthy appetite, nah? which implies that if a person eats well, wow, I'm hungry, no, I can eat and chomp and all that, it's because my body is healthy. However, if we fall sick, we realize, well, actually not for me, but for my wife, when she falls sick, she has no appetite to eat. She loses the appetite to eat or to drink. And I know that's bad, and we all know that's bad, because when you are sick, your body needs the nutrients. You need to eat, you need to keep hydrated, correct? But when we are sick, we just have no appetite to makan. Ayah, I don't feel like eating. Ayah, no, don't bother me. Let me just waste away. <laughs> so it is no different spiritually as well. A sign of spiritual health is an appetite for God's Word and for God's presence in our lives. A sign of spiritual sickness is a loss of appetite for the things of God. Think back when you first became a Christian. 
everything about God, oh, I wanted to do. Every event that was in church, oh, I want to go. Oh, I want to attend. Oh, every ministry that is available in the church, I want to serve. Sign me up. But how many of us can maintain that kind of passion and fervor and hunger for the things of God? Many of us, oh, we look, look into our lives and think, oh, let the next generation serve. Are you tired already? Let other people serve. You know, let other people think. Or we say, mm, are you, I've read the Bible, you know, five times already. Six times is just too tiring, too wearisome. If we find ourselves losing the appetite for the things of God, then we need to take heed, take warning. Perhaps we are becoming spiritually unhealthy. And in the Bible, in the Gospels especially, we know who are those who are spiritually sick. And Jesus constantly debates, constantly rebukes and corrects them. It is the group of the Pharisees. Let's look again to the book of Matthew chapter 23. And we're going to look at verses 27 to 28. And here Jesus is again rebuking and correcting the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, verses 27 to 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of the bones, the dead, and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now that we've talked about hungering and thirsting, I want to now look at righteousness. Okay, let's try and define what righteousness is. Strangely, or apparently, the Pharisees were able to appear righteous, but inside they were not. Okay, so what is righteousness? Let's define righteousness. Righteousness is having a high moral standard and an ethical conduct. Okay, oh, okay, so we begin to understand how come the Pharisees can appear righteous. They can appear righteous. Having a high moral standard and an ethical conduct. Now, the Beatitudes that we are doing today, that we're looking into today, if we look at the New Living Translation version, it says that God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. Okay? So we get another idea of what righteousness is. Righteousness is a behavior. You have a high moral standard, an ethical conduct. You are someone who is just. Who, who seeks justice for, um, for those who are around you. And then thirdly, righteousness is also one of the chief attributes of our God. One of the chief attributes of God is righteousness. Okay, so we understand. Righteousness is having high moral standards, having, behaving in, uh, having a, a, a certain ethical conduct, being just, seeking justice, and also one of the chief attributes of God. So essentially, when we say that we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we're talking about having that morality, that level of godliness, if you will. Let me say it this way. So what happens with the Pharisees is that their actions and their deeds, the manner in which they carry themselves, seem very righteous. Oh, I am better. I am better than thou. I pray more times than you. My Bible is bigger than yours. 
and the fonts are bigger too so that I can see better. I come to church every single day because I work here, but you don't know that. I spend more time with God and I spend more time in His Word than you do in a month, a year. The problem with the Pharisees is that instead of being righteous, they were spiritually sick and they became self-righteous. Self-righteous. So, I do all these things so that I can lord it over you, so I can judge you, you unclean hands, unclean feet. I can judge you because, you know, you don't come and read or pray or spend time with God. That was the problem with the Pharisees. They were going around being a spiritual police, religious police. Ha, ah, never wash your hands. Ha, ah, moving around. Ha, ah, never sit properly. Ha, ah, why you cross your legs? The Pharisees became self-righteous. And that was a sign of their spiritual sickness. Now, for us then, how do we hunger and thirst over righteousness? How do we hunger and thirst for righteousness in a godly manner so that we will not fall into the trap of the Pharisees? Now, indeed, we are supposed to do all those things. We are supposed to read our Bible every single day. We are indeed supposed to pray uh, all day long. We are indeed supposed to seek God, read His Word, understand Him. We are supposed to do all these things. But what is important is that we need to have the right attitude as well so that we will not fall into the same trap of the Pharisees. We need to have the right attitude. So how do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? How do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, Paul is essentially, essentially saying to his young uh, mentee, Timothy, pursue righteousness. Pursue righteousness. Flee the pleasures of this world and pursue righteousness. So okay, we get a better understanding that hungering and thirsting really is, is about pursuing pursuing, chasing, being passionate. But you may say to me, are oh, you a pastor? But I like, my, I like enjoying my earthly pleasures. What's so bad with, you know, uh, computer games? What's so bad about competitive sports? What's so bad about the work that I love and enjoy? Aren't we told to enjoy these things? It's okay to enjoy your earthly pleasures provided you don't use them, these things to fill up your heart and lose your appetite for God. Now, I used to love drinking sugary canned drinks. You're hearing a lot about my bad snacking habits today. I hope you won't judge me. <laughs> but I used to love drinking sugary canned drinks, the kind that, um, the kind that is, you know, those um, carbonated ones, right? It's yummy, it's delicious, it gives you that ooh, refreshing feeling. But as I grew older and wiser, I learned how dangerously, dangerously unhealthy these things are. My insurance agent told me that sugar is more addictive than drugs. Uh, is that right? Yes, correct. Where's my insurance agent? My insurance agent told me that stay away from sugars because if you get diabetes, no insurance company will ever, ever cover you. So, sugar is unhealthy. And when I realized how dangerous these things were, I stopped. I completely cut out drinking uh, sugary canned drinks. Now, over time, I discovered that my desire and longing for these canned drinks stopped. And in fact, when it was served and it tasted a bit, wow, so sweet, wow, so carbonated, I realized that I no longer had the desire or the taste or the palate for these unhealthy things. Okay, what am I getting at as well? 
we may say that, but pastor, I enjoy earthly desires. I enjoy indulging in them. But the truth is this. If we have the obedience to cut these things out, over time, we will lose our desire and palate for the unhealthy things in this life. Okay. Now, think about it this way as well. I read in the Star newspaper some time back, Malaysia is the most obese Southeast Asian nation. Our waist size is the largest on average over the millions of people that inhabit Southeast Asian nations. How many of you just tucked in your stomach? <laughs> the truth is this. Uh, Malaysians, we are a blessed lot. And we are not a very hungry people. Because we are, are moderately developed, we are blessed. We are satisfied with a lot of things that are available to us. So, there is a famine in our nation, not for food, but for the Word of God, for the presence of God. We need to seek God. We need to seek the things of God. But you may say to me, Ayo, Pastor, I don't have the appetite la, for the things of God. I don't hunger and long for these things. Well, let me tell you again. We know what it means to eat clean. No oil, gluten-free, sugar-free, salt-free, fat-free. Taste, also no taste. But if we are disciplined and we eat these things on a regular basis, we find that, eh, I actually like it all. These things start to taste not bad at all. It becomes delicious to us. So the things that are healthy and the things that are good and natural begins to be palatable. I like it. Oh, yes, I'll stick with this. Scientifically, the colors black, blue, and purple make us lose our appetite. But look at this. Next. Mmm. Blueberries. Wow. We know that these things are good, right? They are yummy, they are sweet, rich in nutrients, rich in antioxidants, uh, rich in anti-aging properties. So good! But who told you? Who told you that was true? Scientifically, when we see things, foods that are of the colour black, purple or blue, we lose our appetite. It is nature's way of warning us that this is not edible. It is nature's way of saying that this is decaying, that this is poisonous. But who told you that blueberries were good? You only hear what the researchers say, ma. You can eat them. Ha! I feel I'm anti-aged. Ha! I feel that I've uh, antioxidants. No. You only believe what people have told you. And you take it, took it in good faith. Now! Let me tell you. If you seek and hunger and thirst after the things of God, it is good for you. It is good for you because the blessings of, of God are not just limited to here on this earth, but it will last for an eternity. So even though you may feel that, oh, I just don't have the palate for healthy things of God, but if you try it, if you begin to consume and hunger and thirst and yearn and fill yourself with the things of God, you will find that your palate does increase. Likewise, we know we eat broccoli, these mini trees. Who would ever think about eating mini trees? <laughs> but it's yummy. I love eating broccoli now. It's healthy. And mushrooms! 
I love mushrooms. Who would think about plucking these fungus from decaying wood? <laughs> but we know that these things are good for us, healthy, and we consume it today. So, your appetite can change and it can change for the better. Begin to hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you will make that discipline and commitment, you will find that you can also have that desire for the things of God. So, personally, you should pursue God. You should pursue the things of God. At home, spend time together as a family. Pray together. Pray over the meals. Pray over the decisions that you have to make. Pray over where you're going to spend your next holiday. But as a church, we have provided many avenues for every one of you to be involved in seeking and hungering after the things of God. In our five-fold missions, we have true worship. True worship, when we come to church like this morning, wow, we gave our every and utmost best to Him because He deserves the utmost best. We make coming to church a priority, and I've said this many times, but you know, Church should not be a second choice. It should always be the first choice. When my wife and I got married and we were at our honeymoon, we went to Thailand. And in this nation of Thailand, um, the majority of the people do not speak English. But when we were there, we actually Googled and we sought out a church. Why? Because our hearts and our desire was to spend time in worshipping our awesome and mighty God, in corporate worship as well. And the second one of our uh, five missions is is authentic fellowship. And you can do this by joining the many different cell groups that we have available in church. You know, when we come, come early, spend time, catch up with one another, staying back late, when we visit one another, when we are down, when we help each other out, when we need to move house or when someone needs visiting in the hospital, we show that we truly care and that there is authentic fellowship. And likewise, after this service today, there is Fellowship Sunday and we have snacks. Stay back. Don't be in a hurry to run away. Get to know people, talk to people, develop what it means to have fellowship. Maximum discipleship. Attend the Bible SCG classes that we have. Our church, as I said, our church is blessed with, with inspired, talented, word-loving uh, teachers who are able to teach the Word of God well. And these things are available to you. You only need to sign up and attend. It's free! Favorite word. We have prayer meetings on Wednesdays as well as Saturday mornings. We, we, we uh, encourage our members to attend. We, we encourage accountability, finding partners, finding mentors. There's all these available avenues for you to develop your discipleship in God. Anointed ministry, we encourage every one of you to be involved in serving, whether it is a long-time ministry or a short-time event. Get involved. There's opportunity everywhere. And the last one, Effective missions and evangelism. Signing up for a local, short local, or even an overseas missions trip. Personal evangelism. Identify people that you want to bless. Identify people who need the gospel, who need an encouragement, who need healing with the Word of God. There are many avenues, many opportunities that the church has provided. In that sense then, we have no excuse to say that we don't hunger and thirst after God. But pastor, you may say, after doing all these things, how do we prevent ourselves from being self-righteous? How do we prevent ourselves from falling into the trap of the Pharisees? How can we be righteous? And you may say to me, 
you know, Pastor, this righteousness thing is just too over my head. Lah. You may say, I'm, you don't know my life. You don't know what I'm going through. I'm a sinner. I live an unholy life. I'm nowhere even near this righteousness that you're talking about. Well, let me tell you, if you are here this morning, you are in the right place with the same like-minded people. Compared to God's standards of morality, compared to God's ethical conducts, I am totally unrighteous. I am totally unrighteous when compared to God's righteousness. And there's no way I can achieve or even dream to achieve God's level or God's standard of righteousness. But here is the good news for all of us. God has already done the work of righteousness. God has already done it all for us. All we need to do is found in His Word. 1 John chapter 1, verses 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we just admit that we are sinners, if we just admit to Him that we confess that we are sinners, He forgives our past and He cleanses us from those unrighteousness. All our bad and sinful deeds and addictions are washed away. And God knew that we couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly achieve His laws by our own strength. And so, He sent us a substitute in His own Son, Jesus. Now think with me again. Uh, a game, a sport, football, or even basketball. When, if you are a player and you're out there in the first half, when you become tired, when you are no longer as effective to your team, there is a substitute, Right? Someone who takes over your place. Someone who fills up the empty gap that you have left. And the person is the one who plays with the team, who, who continues the game and who eventually, hopefully, wins it for the team as well. Well, basketball had their Michael Jordan. Church, we have our Jesus Christ. Not only does He walk on air, but He walks on water too. And, G and Jesus has more air time than you can imagine. He levitates. Jesus is the supreme substitute. He is the ultimate, ultimate sacrifice so that we don't have to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made Him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin offering or sin sacrifice for us so that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, in Him and through Him, we have become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the pure, supreme and satisfying offering or sacrifice that was sufficient to satisfy the requirements of God. And all we have to do is to believe in Him. All we have to do is to accept Him as our Saviour. 
Last one, Romans chapter 10, verse 4. Christ is the culmination or completion or fulfillment or satisfaction of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Jesus satisfied the requirements so that we can be righteous. Wow. So, where am I going with all this? The right attitude that I was talking about is this. Having an attitude of gratitude towards God. Recognizing that it's because of Jesus our sins have been forgiven. Because of Jesus, our past is erased. Because of Jesus, we can stand righteous. Because of Jesus, we have a home in eternity. And because of Jesus, when that day comes, when we return to eternity, our souls will be totally and completely filled and satisfied. This is the right attitude that I was talking about, where we are grateful to God, where we come to church not because we have the attendance to mark, but because we desire the presence and the awesome uh, uh, fellowship that we have with the people of God. This is why we serve, not because you know, that, that no one else is going to do it, the whole church is going to die, but we serve because we are grateful. And this is why we worship Him. Not because we can sing better or look better, but because God is awesome and wonderful and worthy of our worship. So we hunger and thirst and we pursue righteousness by pursuing God and making Jesus the centre of our lives. But before we can actually make Jesus Christ the center, we need to make space for Him. We need to make space for God to inhabit our hearts. We need to empty our hearts of all the junk that has been occupying that space that should belong to Him. We need to purge ourselves, clean ourselves from the desires and the temptations of this world. And this morning, Pastor Jared prayed, that we need to separate ourselves. Church, this is a season of separation. This is a season of pursuing after righteousness and pursuing God in our lives. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning and you heard me talk about Jesus. You heard me talk about how Jesus made us righteous. You, made me, you heard me say that, wow, Jesus gave me a home in eternity. Wow. Jesus promised to fill the longing that is within my heart and soul. And if you have not yet met this Jesus, if you've not yet invited Him into your heart, truly invite Him to your heart, this morning, I want to give you that invitation to do so. To do so. With every head bowed, every eyes closed, I wonder if there's anyone here and you are saying, yes, pastor, I want to know this Jesus. I want to open my heart to Him so that I may have fellowship with Him. And if this is what you are saying, let me invite you to raise your hands. Raise your hands and say, yes, I want Jesus. Yes, I want to invite Jesus into my heart. 
if this is your prayer and your desire, you know that there's that longing, that there's hunger within your heart and your soul, and you just don't know how to fill it. You've tried filling it with the things of this world. You've tried filling it with pleasures, but they don't satisfy. My friends, only Jesus can satisfy that longing. So if that's your prayer, let me invite, let me encourage you to invite Jesus into your heart. One more time, if you want to invite Jesus into your heart this morning, kindly raise up your hands. No one's looking around. No one is watching you or judging you. This is a moment between you and God. If you want to say, yes, Lord. Yes, God, come into my heart. Let me enjoy fellowship with you. Let me enjoy a meal together with you. Come into my heart. Raise your hands. If there is none, then I believe that every one of us here this morning, you already know Jesus. You have already invited Him to your hearts. But you admit and you recognize that you do not have that kind of hunger, that kind of thirst, that kind of passion for the things of God. Then now is the time for you to act. Don't wait. Respond to what you have just heard. Don't take the passive, laid-back, see-first-howler attitude when it comes to hungering and thirsting for God. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be like the church in Laodicea, the people who failed to respond and no longer exist today. Let us come before Him in repentance. Say, God, I filled my life. I filled my time. I filled my energy with the things of this world. It may not be bad things, but it has made no room for you. Then let's ask God to forgive us. Cleanse us from these things so that we can make space for you. Let us be our response. Say, yes, Lord, I want to pursue righteousness. I want to pursue you. Fill my heart so that I may be satisfied with you. Let us respond to Him. And as we sing this song, if this is your prayer, let me invite you to come to the front as a step of commitment and say, God, I want you. I want you to feel this longing in my heart because I know I want you to satisfy.